Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4. We are uh, wrapping up our series, uh, the book of Philippians. And um, <clears throat> we're going to be dealing with the last few verses of chapter 4, which the last few verses of the book, obviously. And um, just as we've gone through this, I really do appreciate your leadership in bringing us uh, through this book, because it, it really is a powerful book, both in terms of our understanding who we are as, as a community, but also in terms of, of what it means that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So thank you, and it's been a, been a wonderful series. Got some things planned in the, in the months ahead, but um, uh, this has been a tremendous, tremendous book. You know, I don't, I don't think it, many of us have trouble understanding and viewing friendship as a gift. You know, we, we, when we are in a relationship with someone and, and there is deep fellowship and there's, there's good friendship, we, we recognize what a gift that is from God and what a blessing it is to have that. Because relationships are important. And, and biblical fellowship is a, just a huge part of what we are as a Christian community. And a, and, and a local church engages in uh, that biblical fellowship and the development of those friendships and relationships to promote and proclaim the truth of the power of the gospel. So we, we understand that. This letter, as we've talked about before, this letter... <clears throat> is about putting the gospel first, even when things are difficult, even when circumstances and, and uh, even the, just life is pressing in on us and things are difficult. And yet this is one of those letters where, even though that was true, the church going on, there, w there was very little, you know, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about the little bit of division within. There was a lot of opposition from without, but, but Paul had a unique relationship with this church. The, the fellowship that Paul had with this church was, was very sweet, and, and not because the church was having an easy time of it, or that Paul was having an easy time of it. He's obviously writing from prison, and he's in a difficult, challenging situation. But Paul uses a word, he, he talks about a, a partnership and friendship with this church. And then he, because of, of the shared vision of the gospel, uh, there was this recognition that there's a partnership going on and that that partnership was, was helping Paul in terms of the proclamation of the gospel, what he was doing. And it was also helping the church there Philippi to remain strong and keep standing for Christ in the midst of the hostility and the challenge of what was going on around him. The letter itself is prompted by a gift that they sent to him through Epaphrodites, the man that was leading there. Mentioned we talked about that in chapter one. And now today's passage is picking back up on the purpose of the writing of the letter, which is that gift. And he's going to discuss that again. That, that gift actually was in view uh, 
in last week's message, Jesse was focusing on the idea of Paul having learned contentment and what that meant. But, but that's when he started actually talking about the gift and, and then made those comments about contentment that Jesse talked about so well last week. Paul uses this gift that they sent him, or, and, and it was one of several gifts that they sent to him, to talk about his journey, how in spite of being in prison for the gospel, this is all happening at the beginning of the uh, letter, that he had learned then the secret of contentment. And so I'm going to back up to verse 10 and read the rest because contextually this message, which I'm just titled The Gift, is really a very important, powerful, this is not just him um, winding down his message. He's pulling together all of the things that he's talked about here in the book of Philippians and back focusing on this gift. And, and, and I hope that you'll be able to see how, what a significant message this is to us. So starting in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your <clears throat> concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, which is where he went from, from Philippi, you sent me help for my needs once again. So they had already helped him. He wasn't in Thessalonica more than like two months. They'd already sent him another one. These people, well, I'll get back to that in a minute. These people didn't have a lot of money. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All of the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, I pray that you'd help me today to just not only embrace in my own life the, the gifts that you bring, but God, to be able to understand what a significant moment this is for this church and how Paul's encouragement of them strengthens them for the work that you've called them to do. I ask that you would help. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk about this gift, and I'm going to kind of 
break it down into the idea of the gift of partnership that, that we have and, and, and some of what that means. And then I'm going to talk about the gift of sacrifice and how those two elements play into the broader topic of what it means to uh, have a mutual friendship with folks and that be in the context of ministry and uh, there's just so much here. So anyway, now verses 14 through 16, he's talking about this developing this idea of partnership. The word partnership is, is used throughout the letter and, and keep in mind this letter would have been read, we've been going over it for a couple months now, this would have been read to the church in one sitting. And so this, this reoccurring topic and word partnership would have kept coming up within a, you know, takes about 45 minutes to read or less than 30 minutes to read this. And it, you know, so they would have been hearing this word come up again and again. And so he would have been making his point very clear about their partnership. And they would have felt the impact of that particular word. I feel like it's important, though, for me to insert here how culturally they understood friendship, okay? Because there's a couple of nuances here that have confused people over the years in terms of of what Paul was kind of trying to do as he was saying, you know, I I didn't really need the gift, but thank you for the gift, that he was kind of, you know, And it really doesn't have anything to do with that. And I think you'll see that. Friendship played a primary foundational role in all of the societal relationships in that kind of Greco-Roman culture there. And and also in business and politics. Now, we we keep our business and politics separate, which there's probably wisdom in that. But, But... they didn't have the freedom to do that in, in, in their particular society. So <clears throat> Aristotle um, wrote an incredible treatise on friendship and, and what it meant. And actually, um, many of the, the Roman philosophers did that as well. Cicero uh, wrote a whole book on it. Plutarch wrote one. Seneca I don't know if you know these names or not, but these are names of people who were uh, uh, influencers, if you will, in that culture. And Aristotle, obviously you recognize that name, he philosophized that there were basically three kinds of friendship between equals, which we all are. The first type of friendship was a very uh, virtuous uh, very virtuous people being, um, having a sense of goodwill and loyalty uh, among them, that their relationships were, were based on trust and goodwill and those kinds of things. And, and that <clears throat> that was kind of the, the foundation for friendship as they understood it. He talked about a second kind that he thought was a little bit more superficial, which is much bigger in our society, and that is the enjoyment of things in common. Hey, come on, we got two football games we're going to watch this afternoon. Let's go grab a beer. We'll have a great time. You know, that, 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 that's kind of the second level of friendship that he talks about that he saw as more, and I think probably their society saw as a little bit, a little bit superficial. And then there was a, a, a third aspect of friendship that he talked about 
which was kind of a need-based, uh, purely utilitarian arrangement, uh, which Aristotle disdained. Now, when the philosophical discussions of friendship would happen during that time, it primarily revolved around the first one that I mentioned, this core of ideals that they would engage in that they felt were applicable to genuine friendships. Virtue, fidelity, loyalty, affection as it relates to goodwill between people, mutual giving and receiving, that kind of social reciprocity. Benefits, and by that he means goods and services. The last two things, the, the social reciprocity and the benefits, those last two are a little bit difficult for us as, because we don't kind of, we don't think of it that way. And Paul, as he's writing, he is wanting to, to help the Philippians understand the depth of his feelings toward them. And he actually uses these aspects of friendship to, to do that not just the core values, but he, he moves into talking about that giving and receiving, which sounds difficult, or not difficult, but sounds odd to us, but would not have sounded odd to them that he was focusing on how important that is in relationships with one another. Aristotle also talked about those two things a good bit, but primarily because they could be misunderstood and abused, and which is part of the reason why I didn't like it. Now, there is a sense of obligation that comes with that. There is a sense of gratitude that comes with that, and we'll, we'll see that as we read. But when I first read Aristotle on this particular thing, it, when he talked about it, and then reading Paul, it felt very to me, very contractual. You know, that, that, all right, we're entering into kind of this agreement because that's kind of how we think about things. But then when I began to realize the idea of friends and enemies to them versus friends and enemies to us, there was a lot more at stake for them in these relationships. And the idea of friends and enemies for them were, was really polarized in a way that we've not really experienced, experienced except for the recent years politically in Facebook. We're starting, we're starting to get into that polarization a lot more, but they felt it. I mean, they had to be very, very careful in their relationships. This church was under a lot of pressure Forgive me for going on so long about this, but it'll pay off in a minute. The, 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 there's, they were really feeling the pressure of things from outside. And they were also very eager to trust and enter into the relationship with Paul. And that's what moved Paul so much. Because the polarization that was experienced, a lot of times, like when you read uh, the letters to Corinth that Paul wrote, Paul has a hard time with, with, with 
trying to deal with this, his love and affection for the church and planting the church. And he speaks very well uh, uh, of the Corinthians, even though they're a mess. But when, he, when, the, when the thing at the reciprocity comes up with the church at Corinth, it's a struggle for him. Because basically he's saying, I, I've given to you, and this is a friendship, but, but there's, there's not the reciprocity that one would expect. That's a difficult one for us to grasp because when you start talking like that, we start thinking of guys that want our money when they're preaching, but are not in relationship with us. And so, understandably, we're a little bit cautious about that. There was not that same understanding there were those hucksters out there that were doing that, and Paul calls them out. But relationally, there was, there, there, there was more of a sense of, of friendship having that kind of, uh, having that aspect to it that Paul could draw upon. So, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that our understanding of friendship, that biblical friendship, that biblical fellowship is a reflection of the Greco-Roman culture. I'm not saying that, because that's not true. What I am saying is the cultural's view, even in that day, though, does re reflect the fact that, it's evidence, if you will, that humans are created with an instinct to image God. And that that instinct, and I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, that instinct become, comes into fruition with the preaching of the gospel. This letter is almost entirely predicated on Paul and the Philippians' mutual goodwill, including all of the gratitude, exhortation, correction, partnership that's discussed. But what we have to pick up on more by implication is that Paul is being careful to avoid any kind of that patron-client feel when he's speaking to them, particularly when he speaks to them as an apostle, as a, as a leader. Think clergy laity. Paul is already fighting against that clergy, laity, temptation that the church just eventually gives into and establishes a whole tier of leader, patron, client kind of thing that ends up, in my humble opinion, ruining a lot of the power and glory that is in the gospel and the, the incredibly um, leveling effect of the gospel. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no <clears throat> rich or poor. There is no male or female. It, it just... It just the gospel's power 
to humble us all at the cross gets interfered with when this aspect of things gets misunderstood, abused, and turned over. When Paul says yet, verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He is starting to pull the conversation back around to what is actually happening between them and why he wrote the letter and why he wanted to encourage them so much for the gift that they had sent to him. Paul is not doing what he often does uh, with the language and concept of the day, of, and, and, or Paul is doing, I should say, what he often does, is he's taking an idea and a concept and the language of the Greco-Roman Roman culture, and he is subsuming the idea of friendship and relationship that they all knew under the reality of the gospel. So you take the positive aspects of, of friendship that they really did understand, add the shocking teaching of Jesus, which said, you've heard it said. Hate your enemies. No. You are to love your enemies. You are to do good to them. You take the shocking view of Jesus teaching and what he's telling them to do with their enemies, with their rivals. Love your enemies. Do good to them. You take their understanding of friendship, you add that, and you have the biblical view of biblical fellowship. You have an understanding of how deep, how <clears throat> incredibly meaningful it was to have people you could trust. It is a gift. Paul is talking about the gift, which was some kind of practical help that he needed financially or whatever. And he's saying this gift is bigger than you can imagine. This gift is how we are to understand our relationship. This gift is how we are to live. We live in mutuality with one another. We are together in this. Fellowship in the New Testament is, is a participation in life by the power of the Spirit through our union with Christ. We understand that as we teach about biblical fellowship. That very definition, J.F. Packer says, of, of biblical fellowship. He says, it's a sharing with our fellow believers the things God has made known to us about himself in hope that we may thus help them know him better and so enrich our fellowship 
with him. It's a sharing of what we know of God and of one another so that we can find strength and refreshment and help. This, this biblical fellowship, this biblical friendship, this partnership, Paul is, is, is asking and, and, and trying to, to communicate to the Philippian church. Folks, we, we are in the promotion of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. We are moving from what Ed Welch would say, we're moving from me to we. That's what we're doing. This is about us. The mutuality that we share with one another, matter of fact, is the way that we image God. Now, he's not saying this in this context, but it is true. When you think about each person of the Trinity, we're taught that, that each person of, of, of the Trinity does what they do in union with the other members of the Trinity. It's one God, three persons. That idea of Trinity, God lives in community. You've heard us talk about that before. We're made in the image of a glorious God. And is it any wonder that, that the deep longing that we have for intimacy and relationship and mutuality is woven into the very fabric of our nature? It's because it, it, it's a reflection of who God is, a reflection of his image. Human beings are to connect with one another because that's what we're made to do. One man said God is actually the only functioning community in the universe. Every other one is dysfunctional because of sin. So, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. As he moves from talking about the, the way that mutuality encouraged him into the sacrifice that it was, he, he, he continues that, that partnership language and, and really rehearses the history of the giving that they've done, which they're aware of. So why, why would he be reminding, of a thing, reminding them of things that they've already they already know. They participated in. They did. They knew all this. The what? The, the spreading of the gospel, not just giving him a financial gift. The spreading of the gospel is, is done through this idea of partnership and friendship and relationship. Paul left Asia Minor for Europe. And he landed and went straight to Philippi. Remember the story. He and Silas were beaten up, arrested, escorted out of town, apologized to, and implanted the church there at Philippi. Lydia, the Philippian jailer, those were, uh, and the uh, girl with the demon, they were all a part of the 
interesting makeup of that local church. And then he moves on to Thessalonica. Before he even leaves Thessalonica, they are participating. They are so grateful that he stayed. Remember, they asked him to stay. He went into the area of Macedonia. He had the Macedonian call. Philippi is part of a larger area called Macedonia. He purposefully went to Macedonia, but whether or not he was going to stay in Philippi, I don't know. It was a Roman colony. He probably was. But the point is, they asked him to stay, and he did. And they're grateful. So from their standpoint, Paul and Silas staying, staying there, going through all that they went through, and Paul making the town leaders apologize to him because he was a Roman citizen and shouldn't have been arrested, protected the church. Well, that's Paul's church. He's a Roman citizen. Leave him alone. Lydia, evidently being person of means, which is the implication of some of the things that's said about her, she's a part of that help that's, that's happening. They are jumping in with him right away, and he is profoundly grateful. And he makes the point, even when I was in Thessalonica, no one, not even the Thessalonian church, partnered with me the way that you have. He's profoundly grateful. That, that was the what was taking place, the how. Specifically, Paul is highlighting this aspect of their friendship, the mutuality and the giving, the receiving, the gift of money. He even uses that reality or that uh, situation when he talks to Corinth. Remember in, in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he's talking to the Corinthian church. And he says... Um, must be 2 Corinthians 8. Because it wasn't in 1 Corinthians 8, which is where I just was. Um, it's what happens when you do things extemporaneously. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. He's talking to the Corinthians. About the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul is collecting uh, an offering because uh, um, there's a famine going on in Jerusalem church and he's trying to get money back. And so the the Thessalonians, I mean the... Uh, Philippians are giving, now not just to Paul, but also to the relief effort. These people didn't have hardly anything. Lydia might have been one of the only people of means that were a part of that church. Certainly the, the, the jailer would have, would have been more middle class. The demonized girl would, well, we don't know anything about it. I shouldn't speculate. But the point is that, that there's, He's saying they were in a lot of poverty and they gave so generously. Why? 
in verse 11 when he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned what it means to be content. In verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to you. His recital, his short recital there of their friendship, expressed in the giving and receiving language, not because he's asking for another gift, exactly the opposite. What he seeks for the, for the Philippians is the fruit that, that bring, he wants to bring attention to the fruit of what God is going to do in their lives because of the way, because of the generosity of their gift, but also because of the generosity of their friendship with him. He kind of switches metaphors a little bit here and begins to talk, move from the idea of the gift to a non-atoning sacrificial offering, a burnt offering, which straightforwardly suggests that the real recipient of the gift to him was the Lord himself, wanting them to know, look, you're not just giving to me, you are giving to the Lord. He says, I am full. I have received full payment. But, but drop the word payment because that, to our ears, that sounds like, like a debt that's owed. Remember, he, he's writing. He's, he's in chains. He's in prison. He gets his food. He gets his paper. He gets his pens. All, you know, that supplied to him. He's in prison. Now, the metaphor is, continues, drop the idea of payment from your mind. He says, I am full. I have received fullness from you. I am well supplied. When... I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be careful with this illustration because you, you know the other church that I'm talking about here. And, and, and I, I do, I'm not trying to put anybody in a bad place because the Metro Life Church was, was in a difficult state at that point, at the point at which we first started Redeemer. So when we first started out in, in Lake Nona, there was relationship there, there was friendship there. But there was inability to, uh, at least in their minds, there was inability to participate financially. At that point, I'd been in, year, uh, been in ministry for 40 years. So I went to friends throughout the churches that I'm aware of that I've built relationship with over the years saying, hey, we're in a difficult situation. So I'm grace going through a lot. Church going through a lot. Planting this church. Um, can you help? I traveled to, I only traveled to two different cities. 
I only did this for a three or four week period. And I had $120,000 given. <clears throat> These were people who I'd ministered to, who had been in church, had built friendship with over the years. I, not other, I, didn't go to, I didn't go to any other pastors, I don't think. These are just people I went to. I know what Paul's feeling. What's happening here, and this is the point, what's been built, what had been built, were relationships. Not just relationships that ended up staying in Philippi. These were relationships that had been built over the years where I was able to draw upon mutuality of relationship. These were friends who, yes, who had contributed to the church over the years. But that's not why they gave. And why some are still giving. It was because of their love for the gospel and their love for the fellowship that has been built over the years. It is a fragrant offering to the Lord. We, we still have money in the bank because of that. We, we haven't, in 10 years, we haven't been able to spend all of that because the church got going and we started receiving from others. And then we've given to other churches and we've given to other ministries and there's still money there. The, the, the issue isn't about the money. The issue is we are in relationship and Paul is saying to this church, I am full. I am amply supplied. And you know what? God will supply to you. Yes, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, he, he preached the gospel to them in the midst of this wonderful letter. He told them and spoke to them about how powerful the gospel is and why we are so indebted to the Lord Jesus Christ for all that he has done to pay for our sins, to deliver us from this wretched world that we live in and to create for us a life, a mutuality of relationship based upon the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the living in community together. We are full. We are amply supplied. 
And because of your generosity, even when it's been difficult for you, you, Philippians, of all churches, to be the ones that are closest to my heart because of the way in which you have given and shared in our friendship in a way that speaks of mutuality and equality, your needs are going to be amply supplied. God's not going to leave you hanging. This pressure you're feeling from all of the enemies that we've made here, all of the challenges that surround you economically and in terms of your status, all of, all of these issues that you face, your generosity is proving to me that you know that God is going to amply supply all that you need. My God will, not may, my God will supply every need of yours. In the midst of your poverty, like he spoke of in 2 Corinthians 8, he's going to supply your material needs. In the face of of the opposition, you're going to feel the steadfast joy and courage of the Lord. In your need for unity among each other, Seneca and Dodia, you're fighting. You're going to see grace and humility supplied. In place of the grumbling and the anxiety that you have felt, God's peace is going to come. This gift, this gift is a gift to our God, our Father, who will receive glory forever and ever. Amen. This gift shows that you understand that the heart of mutuality, of partnership, of friendship, of biblical fellowship is care for one another. Even, even when Paul talks about this in other places, he, you still hear this language that includes the idea of reciprocity and, and, and even material needs. When he talks about the body of Christ in Ephesians, he talks about joints of supply. Supply is a marketplace word. We're joints of supply to one another. We need each other. This partnership, this fellowship, it doesn't create life, but it is a means of expressing the grace of God in our lives. Every part is joined to the head, and we supply he supplies our need. We supply that to one another as we are joints of supply when every part does its work. I know I'm jumping all over the place in terms of my metaphors here, but the, the idea of we need each other. God is at work. We need humility. We need others. You know, we so often need help. But why is it that at times we just don't want the help of others? After all Paul has taught us, 
Why do we still give over to just our own self-sufficiency and our own pride and arrogance? Partnership, mutuality is just a sign that selflessness abounds where the grace of God abounds. And when we share in that mutuality with one another, when we give our lives to one another, God is praised and we are changed. We grow. We mature. And so Paul ends this letter having started out you know, and, it, and again, it's, it's, it's all through here. I thank God because of your partnership. This is chapter one. Your partnership in the gospel from the first day to now. I'm sure of this, that God began a good work and he's going to complete it. He keeps talking about how, you know, that, that you know, in our manner of life, be worthy of this gospel. Stand together. Walk together. It's all, it's all through here. He, he's, he, he comes back to this gift because he wants us to see. He wants the Philippians to see. He wants us who are reading to see. That the gospel message that we are called to proclaim and preach, we are all in on with one another. We're going to face challenges. We're going to face difficulties. We, we know that. We understand that. We've been through that. Here we are again trying to, to, to reestablish in a new place and work again. We're going to experience the challenges, the difficulties. But my God will supply all of our need according to his riches in glory. So, therefore, greet everyone in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. And then kind of with a, just a wry little smile, especially those of Caesar's household. He's in prison. <laughs> He's meeting, and as we find out through history, converting Caesar's household. So yeah, Caesar's trying to put a stamp on this, but you know what? A bunch of his help is being saved. Turns out his either sister or half-sister or whatever ended up getting saved. I mean, it just, it, it, look... It's working, folks. The gospel is going forth and it's touching everybody. Our God will supply all of your need. This is going to be a great work. This is going to be a great walk with him. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He is with us and he will continue to be with us. Let's serve together. Let's give together. Let's walk together. Let's care for one another. And let's preach the gospel and demonstrate the gospel to a lost dying, and very needy world around us.